Guys, this morning, um, I was given these Girl Scout cookies uh, because a few weeks ago, I was approached by a young woman, probably fifth grade, and um, at Frothy Monkey, she's part of the regular Sunday morning crowd there, and she asked me if I'd buy some, and I said yes, I would, because I support the empowerment of young girls. Thank you, because... I'm a little bit of a hero. And so today was the day when, you know, that day I told her I would buy these. And today was the day when the cookies came and she said that would be $4. And I said, I don't have $4. And she was like, I was like, do you have Venmo or anything? And she was like, no. I was like, are you living in the 90s? Get out of here. No, I didn't say that. But then I was like asking people at Frothy, hey, is there a way to do like debit, cash back or anything? And they're like, no. So I was like, thanks for the cookies. And so like my, my work of altruism actually turned out, it ended up with me get, keeping my money and getting cookies. And you know what, guys? That's a little bit like all of our efforts. Um, that's, there's, there's something about being human that we end up making all these big promises, and at the end of the day, we end up keeping our money and getting cookies. And every time we try to do something that is truly good or right, it has a way of turning in on itself. And here's, here's an example of what I'm talking about. I was reading this from The Atlantic because I'm smart um, this month, and they were talking about just these social media big tech companies that, you know, all these like massive statements of how this is going to change the world in positive ways and altruistic desires. Um, but then again, has a way of turning in on itself. And it says this, but these tools at scale are also systems of manipulation and control. They promise community, but sow division claim to champion truth but spread lies, wrap themselves in concepts such as empowerment and liberty but surveil us relentlessly. The values that win out, like at the end of the day, when all is said and done, the values that win out tend to be the ones that rob us of agency and keep us addicted to our feeds. Okay, the church is also not immune to this. I came across this quote this week from theologian Richard Lovelace that I've heard before but kind of forgot about. And he talks about this tacit agreement between pastors and their congregations, where congregations give pastors the pride of standing up here and feeling like somebody important because I get to speak to you guys every week. You give me the pride of feeling like a, a superstar in the pulpit so long as what you get out of this is that I never actually mess with any of your pre-Christian lifestyles. There's this thing in which in the church, in religion, in the world, everywhere, there's this thing in which even things that have these beautiful beginnings and these desires for good, they just have a way of falling apart and turning in on themselves and coming back to me because that's the problem, is me. Because I can't fix things when I'm the problem. If I don't have the capacity for goodness and rightness or righteousness in myself, 
then no matter how many promises I make, no matter how much I desire it, I can't make it happen. It's just empty. No one has to convince us of the need for change or the need for rightness. That's obvious. Um, Just look at all the efforts at utopian societies. Look at all the different human philosophies out there, the ways in which we're going to fix the world. And they never really turn out to amount to much and actually cause damage just like everything else. So the need is clear. And the problem is us. I was also um, reading, I saw this article in Time Magazine that said uh, what to watch for, like the, the major dangers, the, the biggest threats to humanity, uh, to our world in 2024. And the top five were, it was the U.S. against itself, our current political climate. And I forget the order, but it was uh, what's going on in Ukraine. It's what's going on in the Middle East. Um, it's the... Uh, the coalition between North Korea and Iran and somebody else. And then it was um, AI. And it was like, oh, yeah, do we see the common denominator here? The, the biggest threat to humanity is humanity because we have problems. And it's not because these are a few powerful people. It's because these are people just like you and me who have access to a lot of power and money. And if we were in that position, we would be doing the same thing. So the problem is us. The change is necessary. But the difference of whether any efforts for rightness or change will amount to anything is whether they are tied to the power of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. All human efforts to become right or righteous, no matter how well-intentioned, are absolutely powerless unless they are connected to Jesus and his righteousness. And that's, that's where we're going. That's what we're going to talk about today. So whoever's reading scripture can come on up. Um, thank you, Gray. As Gray's coming up, just a reminder or to let y'all know if you haven't been with us, uh, we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. We're seeing Jesus as this great king. And um, today we are seeing Jesus at his baptism uh, and how he is coming to give us the power to actually be right and be righteous. So we're in um, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and then also verses 13 through 17. Those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this he is he who has spoken of the by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would, could have prevented him by saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we are here in your presence today because you have called us here. Lord, uh, whether we know you and, and have turned to you, and continue to turn to you or not, whether we are skeptical and we are here for some other reason, 
Uh, we are in your presence, and your spirit is powerful. And I ask that you would use your power today to change our hearts. Uh, Lord, our hearts, we go through this life collecting all sorts of pain and hurt and selfishness and uh, sin and wicked designs. And I pray that you would come and melt those things away, break, break those things off, and that you would renew us, Lord, that you would give us new life, whether for the first time or for the infinite time. Uh, come and do what only you can do through your word, through your power, through your spirit. And we ask you to do this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so this, this account here, uh, this is Jesus going out to be baptized by John. Um, it's a little, can be a little confusing. But what we're going to look at is we're going to see um, the state of things in those days, what, what, what people were experiencing, um, and then John's baptism, this need for repentance and what, what repentance is. And then we're going to see Jesus's baptism and his fulfilling all righteousness. And so uh, in verse one, it says, you know, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And so John was this guy who was not of the established religious order. Um, he was a little bit of a a rogue guy who was out doing his own thing, and he was out in the wilderness, but he was not in his own program. This is what the Lord had called him to. He was born for this purpose. Um, he was talked about by Old Testament prophets in multiple places in Isaiah that's mentioned here, and in Malachi, they talk about this one who would come, uh, who was coming, and he was going to be in the wilderness, and he was going to call people back to God. And um, we don't have time to get into it today, but John was really this... Um, there was a prophet named Elijah who was very powerful in the Old Testament days, and uh, he called people powerfully back to God away from their sin. And so these prophets were saying, there's one who's coming before the anointed one comes, before the ultimate king comes, before the one who is coming to save and, and rule over all of creation comes, there will be another Elijah and, and he will go out into the wilderness. He will call people out into the wilderness back to God. And so that's who John the Baptist is. And that's what he's doing out here. And um, in these days, the days where he shows up and begins this ministry, there were not days unlike many days in Israel's past. There were not days unlike the days that we're experiencing now. And in Malachi, it talks about what those days are like when this, this one who is the next Elijah would come and, and come into the world. And it says a few things about what was happening. Uh, one is that people were uh, weary of worshiping God. That to be in relationship with God was actually a weariness and not a blessing. It was like, oh, you know, we have to do this again. We have to go, go worship God again. We have to read his word again. We have to do all these things again. So something there was, there was a weariness in people that it was like we were doing God a favor by showing up, that he really needed me, and thankfully I'm here <laughs> for him. Uh, and there was also what goes hand in hand with that kind of pride and blindness is um, people were going through the motions, but their hearts were far from God is that I, I would say the right thing, I would even come to the right place, I would, I would do the things that I need to do to feel okay about myself, but in all of this talking and all of this doing, I'm not really 
meeting with God at all. I'm not really in a relationship with him at all. It's just all this shallow surface stuff. And so there's, there's a need to go out into the wilderness. There's a need to go out into the desert away from the noise. It's a little bit like leaving the Las Vegas Strip so that you can think. You need to get away from all the lights. You need to get away from all the sounds. You need to get away from all the false promises for things that will give you life and make you happy and complete you to where you can actually be sober and see and think and hear. And so these people were coming. They were leaving the religious establishment of the day of all the people that were promising great things, all the people that were promising to buy Girl Scout cookies and were actually keeping the money in the cookies. Um, the Pharisees, the people who were the, the rulers in the religious system at the time, um, many of those people, their hearts were far from God too. And they were using their positions of authority to be somebody and to retain power and to be um, somebody that was better or higher than or more comfortable than or more powerful than everyone else. And so these people were coming out to see John. And what John's ministry was, was he was saying, hey, like we know that this is not good. There's something wrong. This is not good. This is not the way. This is not what it is to know and follow and worship the living God because he is so much more than this. He is not in this empty, shallow religious formalism. And he's also not in the empty, shallow secular formalism. All the ways that we trick ourselves into thinking that we're really good and, and we're really, uh, we don't need anything because we're good people and we're full of life and we're happy and everything's going great. And he's saying, no, 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 that's not true. Come, come out here and sober up. Come out here and live in reality. And maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe this is the wilderness for you. Maybe you're here because you've thought like, man, I've been trying everything. Um, and everything seems shallow. And everything <laughs> over promises and under delivers. And maybe that's out in the world. And maybe that's from other churches or other places of worship. But this is, this is what John is calling us past and through and out of all of the dead, shallow formalism and legalism to actually have an encounter with the living God. And so then the next couple of verses here, verses two and three, we get John's baptism. What is John's baptism? Uh, it's one of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It says that he's out there preaching in the wilderness, all the people who are coming out to him, what they are hearing, the message of what they are hearing can be distilled down into this statement. And it's, it's very similar or the same to Jesus' statement when he begins his ministry uh, a, a few chapters later. But it is this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it says, for this, this John, the one who is saying this, this is he of whom it was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So what it means to repent, that's a very religious sounding word, but the word repent just means to turn back. And more specifically, to turn away from the direction I'm going to be my own king, 
and to turn back to God and to turn back to him and live in right relationship with him. It's a turning back no matter who you are, whether, whether you believe that you've turned toward him ever before in the first place or not, it's always a turning back because he is the one who made us. Because we belong to him, we are his, we are made in his image, whether you know him as your creator or not. We are his, and so the call to everyone, Christian or non-Christian, is to repent, to turn away from our designs at being our own kings and queens and turning back to God because he is king and they live in right relationship with him. And what's implied in this call to repentance is faith. Faith and repentance always go hand in hand. Faith is this turning back to God because he is the one who can do what's necessary because he is the one who will receive us when we turn back to him because he is the one that is life. And so when I turn back to him, I'm turning back in faith because I'm believing that he has what I need and that this is life, is to be in right relationship with him. And so this is John's call, is, is a call to faith and repentance because the kingdom of heaven is not a theoretical idea, and it's not far away. It's here. And it was there in, in the wilderness in a way that nobody expected because the king himself was coming. And so here we have in verses 13 through 17 um, this Jesus, the king, who is coming. And before we get there, we just have to say this. John's baptism on its own is absolutely powerless apart from what it points to. John's baptism on its own, I mean, think about what was happening. People were coming out to him, they were recognizing, I am sinful. Like, I am sinful in the eyes of God. Um, I am false. I do not do what is right. I don't do what is, what is right. I don't worship him. I don't hold him in high regard. I don't hold his word in high regard. I don't try to obey him with all of my heart and soul. I don't take pleasure in him with all of my heart and soul. So yes, I am a sinner. And I'm recognizing that I'm a sinner and I need to repent. And John's saying, yeah, come and repent and be baptized. And it was this, this um, extension of this ritual washing. And so people would go down into the Jordan River with him and he would they would be immersed in the water and they would be raised up, cleansed. And so people were doing this, but y'all, think about it. If that's all that was happening, then even John's baptism is powerless. It's like every other attempt that we have made in our own to be good or be right or put things right or make up for all of the sin and pain that we've caused or do better because guess what's going to happen to those people as soon as they get up out of that water? If that baptism is not connected to anything else, they're going to go on and they're going to be great examples of humanity for the next five minutes until somebody crosses them or until they find themselves in need or all the reasons they're afraid or they're angry or all the reasons that we have that cause us to act out in whatever way we feel like is best to get what we think we need at that moment. There is nothing about a ritual that is going to change the human heart and that's the thing that needs to be changed. 
So John's baptism by itself is absolutely powerless apart from the Jesus that it is connected to. Because the only thing that is powerful about John's baptism is it is a channel through faith and repentance to be connected to Jesus' baptism. And so that gets us uh, to Jesus coming and him being baptized here with John. He is fulfilling all righteousness for us. And so John rightly is a little confused about what's happening. If, if John's baptism is a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, I'm turning away from my sins so that I can be forgiven by God for my sin, then he sees Jesus coming, the one who is sinless, the one who is fully man and fully God, coming down into the water to be baptized by him. What would you be thinking if you were John at this point? Like, I, I think not only does this not make sense to me, but this is wrong. <laughs> like, I am a sinner. And God, yes, God has called me into this position to prepare the way for the Lord to come, but you coming is, this is wrong. And he says this to Jesus. He says, you would come to me. I, I'm the one that needs to be baptized by you. And Jesus says to him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So what does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus is baptized by John just like all the rest of us that are sinners? <laughs> Not us, but the people who were there at the time. He's fulfilling all righteousness, and that means a few different things. That means a few different things on a few different levels. First, it is Jesus continuing to live a sinless life. He is perfectly obedient. And we learn later in the Gospels that John's baptism is from God. So God sent him out into the wilderness and called all people who were truly following God to go be baptized by John in the wilderness. And so this is part of Jesus holding God's word in very high regard and being perfectly obedient to the Father. So that is a way in which he is personally fulfilling all righteousness. Another way that he is fulfilling all righteousness um, is he has come not just for himself, but for the people that he is representing as our great high priest. For everyone who will ever be in Christ, he is our great high priest. And the great high priest of God's people was the one who would offer the sacrifices for the sins of all people so that they would be forgiven. And it says in Leviticus 8 that those high priests were set apart by washing with water and by anointing for their work as great high priest. And so Jesus here is coming to be our great high priest. He is coming to be washed by the water and he is anointed with the Holy Spirit for his work that he is about to do on the cross this work that this baptism is pointing toward. This baptism is a foreshadowing of Jesus' real baptism, which was his death on the cross. So what's happening here is he is fulfilling all righteousness because he is taking all of our sin into himself, and he is being lowered into death in the waters of judgment, into the waters of God's wrath for sin, for all things that bring harm and evil and wickedness to all creation. So all of our sin 
is put into this righteous one. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin for our sake became sin. So all of our sin is put into this sinless one, our king, our great high priest, and he goes down into the waters of judgment. This is foreshadowing his baptism. He is taking our sin and sickness into himself, the wrath of God poured out on him, and he is dead, and then he is raised to new life by the power of God. And in his being raised up, he's saying, not only am I the great high priest, I'm also the sacrifice. In another one of the gospels, John sees Jesus coming and says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's saying, not only am I your great high priest, I'm also the the spotless lamb that was sacrificed for your sins. So Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness by giving this picture of the way that he is truly fulfilling all righteousness uh, by going to the cross on our behalf. And then he is also showing us a new and better baptism that is coming through him. What do I mean by that? Well, the baptism that you and I experience now is not John's baptism. Because John's baptism is only half of the story. John's baptism is a baptism for the repentance and the forgiveness of sins. But baptism in Christ also brings new life. In Acts 19, 2 through 6, we we like read about this difference here. And I'm just going to read it real quick for us. This is uh, Paul going to these people with the gospel, and it says, Paul said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we have not even heard of the Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So what does this mean for us? It means that in Jesus, we have a greater baptism than John's baptism. It means that John's baptism only finds its significance in Jesus's baptism, in Jesus's fulfilling all righteousness, because What is true now because of what Jesus has done on our behalf is verses 16 and 17 here when we see what happens to Jesus, this also is a foreshadowing of what's true of us in Christ. So just like Jesus' actual baptism was a foreshadowing of his true baptism, which was taking our sin to the cross and us experiencing new life, him being raised from the dead, this is what we have to expect in this new baptism through Jesus. It says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. He was raised to new life. And in Christ, we are raised to new life. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. The heavens are open to us who are in Christ. Full access. We don't have time to talk about the holy of holies, but it's like the curtain in the temple is torn, and we have full access into the holy of holies to be in the very presence of the God of the universe for all time. 
heavens were opened to us in our new baptism, in our new life in Christ. We are given spiritual eyes. We can see and understand and know and walk in heavenly things. The heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. We do not only have the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. We have the forgiveness of sins and we have new life in the Holy Spirit. The very person of God has come to dwell in us, is united to us, never to be separated from us. And the power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us and is working new life through us. And he comes to us. Here it says he appeared in the form of a dove, and that's pointing back to uh, the dove that was released uh, when, when Noah was on the ark and the water was still covering the earth. He sent out the dove, and the dove came back with the olive branch. You remember that? And so what this is pointing to here is it's saying, hey, there is new life, and you are experiencing just a taste of it now. But in the life to come, this is the promise of a new world, the promise of a new heavens and a new earth that are yours for all eternity because of what Jesus has done for us in fulfilling all righteousness. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And this may be the best part of all that because of the finished work of Jesus, because of him fulfilling all righteousness, now that voice of the Father is the voice of your Father. That you and I in Christ have a Father. The God of the universe is no longer an enemy, but he is a Father. And what he says to Jesus here, I mean, this is like too good to be true. We have to, here, we're gonna celebrate. We're gonna eat some cookies. I'm going to open them because if I don't, nobody's going to eat one. But y'all, have some cookies and listen to this. Come on. (laughs) This is what he says, and this is what is true of us in Christ. You are my beloved. We are loved by the God of the universe, and he says, with whom I am well pleased. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many... How much time do you and I spend during the week thinking that we are not okay with God and we just need to get it together a little bit more in order for God to even want to look at us or talk to us? And and what he's saying here is, is y'all, that is a lie. Yes, he calls us to holiness. Yes, he calls us to sinlessness, but we will not be perfectly sinless in this life. We will not stay the same. We were being transformed because the Holy Spirit is too powerful for us to stay the same. But he's also not going to make us sinless in this life because that is not his plan. (laughs) But he is making us righteous, and he has made us righteous, and that's why what God says here of Jesus is true of everyone who is in Christ at all times. At all times, every sin has been dealt with. Every one of your sins, past, present, and future, has been dealt with on the cross. There is nothing left that holds us back from God's love. There is nothing left that makes God love us any more or any less. What he says here to Jesus is what is said to you and I in Christ at all times. 
You are my beloved with whom I am well pleased because it's not about us. If it were about us, we would be in trouble because every effort of our own to be good comes up short. But it is about Jesus' finished work on our behalf. It is because he fulfilled all righteousness. That's why our baptism, that's why our faith, that's why our repentance has any power whatsoever. It's not because of the thing itself. It's because what it's connecting us to. It's like the, it's like the power cord that connects us to the battery, to the source, to the one who can actually do something about this, who can back up all of his claims to make us, make us right with God. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What he's saying here is that Jesus calls us to baptism. That's why we practice baptism here. But it's baptism by faith. And the power is not in the baptism. And the power is not in how much faith I have. And the power is not in my repentance. Those are the channels of faith that are connecting me to the one with all the power. It is simply connecting me to him. All that I bring is a need. A need for a savior and a need for a Lord and a need for one who can fulfill all righteousness on my behalf because I can't. And these, faith and repentance, this is the life of a Christian from start to finish. This is the channel that is connecting me to the one and to the power and to my great king who came. I mean, he is the king of the universe. And instead of coming swinging his sword, he came going down into death so that we could have life. That is who this Jesus is. And so just very quickly before we finish up, think about what this means for your prayers. Think about what this means for your prayer life, for your ability to be in relationship. I mean, because he's telling us, because God is telling us that is life. Like life is that you would know the father and know the son and be with the father and the son. There is no higher thing in this world. There is no greater goodness. There's no greater joy. There's no greater pleasure. The, the problem is I'm so weak and frail and, and so tossed about by sin at every turn that I can't even see and imagine that. But that's true. And so if that's true, then this channel prayer, this way of being with God in his presence is my greatest good is just to be with him and think about all the ways that we are hampered and hamstrung from praying either because I feel like I don't know the right way to pray because I can't do it right. So that keeps me from praying or because I'm sinful because look at the way that I sinned today or yesterday and I put myself in what I call spiritual timeout where it's like God doesn't want to see me for a few days because he's ashamed of me. Think about we, you know, all these things that we turn to instead of him. For most of us, we don't really think those things are going to fulfill us 
more than he is. It's just that we can't imagine that he still wants to meet with us and loves us as much as he says he does in his word. So I lie to myself and tell myself that this stuff is going to fulfill me because I'm too sad and too disappointed to face the reality that I'm scared that he's not going to meet with me. And what this passage is saying is that all of that stuff is gone. Because we are his beloved children. Think about if you're a parent, or if you are the child of a good parent, relatively good parent, there is not a certain way that I have that my children have to come to me. Some sort of formalism or pattern that they have to use words in a certain way to talk to me, or I just turn them away or stop listening. That would be crazy. And we just sang about God being a good father. Look, I'm... (laughs) I'm better than some, but I am not a good father on that scale. And so if I can love my kids enough to have a relationship with them when they don't come to me perfectly, then what about him? Who is infinitely more able to do that? And do I think that, I mean, am I so arrogant that I think my sin is keeping me from him when the whole reason that Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness on my behalf is because I'm a sinner? Right? So if my sin is not keeping me from him, if my inability to find words and to talk to him is not keeping me with him, what is? Well, in Christ, the answer is nothing. Nothing is keeping me from him. And you and I have an enemy who is keeping us from him. And you and I have our our sinful flesh that is keeping us from him, our pride. And that's why repentance and faith go together. Is he, through his spirit, brings me awareness that I am running to something else for life. And so repentance is putting it down and turning back to him in faith. It's not two separate things. It's all the same thing, but it's this movement of putting down what is false and coming back to receiving him because he has already received me because Jesus has fulfilled all righteousness on my behalf. So think about what that means For our prayer life, think about what that means for our ability to have relationship with each other. That there is is nothing that I need to be afraid of in you. There's nothing that you need to be afraid of in me because we are all being made new in him. He is our righteousness, not ourselves. So I don't have to be afraid of spending time with somebody who I think is a sinner or who I think is different from me because I'm a sinner. And he is my righteousness. And now we can go to work in the world full of his power, fully made righteous in him. And when we fail, when we stumble, when we fall, when we sin, we just turn back to him. And he and his power gives us new life. And we continue with him and his mission for the world. So we're going to spend um, just a few minutes here before we uh, worship and song some more. And I just, I just want us to practice here being in his presence. And so for some of you, that might include repentance of just laying out before him the things that you are choosing to run to instead of him, the ways that you are choosing to disobey him or make light of his word 
but you're doing that knowing that he loves you. You're doing that without fear of condemnation. And then you're turning to him to receive him, whatever that looks like. Maybe you, maybe you hang out in verses uh, 16 and 17 here, but we're just gonna spend a few moments together just being with him in his presence. Father, I confess uh, this week, just being so aware of my lack of patience, which tells me that I have pride and expectations and how things should go because uh, this is the way that I want them to go. And I confess, um, yeah, I confess the truth of your gospel rising and falling with my feelings or my performance, which is not your good news at all. And so uh, I put those things down and pray that you would help me and help my brothers and sisters here to put these things down and just return to you and just to enjoy being, being yours, being made righteous by you. And even just to say that out loud, to say, that I am your beloved son with whom you are well pleased, that changes something in me. I can feel a change, and I, I pray that you would just drill that statement into each of our hearts this week, that you would speak that over us individually, uniquely, meet us in the places where we need you to meet us, and help us to believe that more and more this week. And uh, we ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen.